Welcome to the Hub Dialogues, a podcast that celebrates big thinkers and bold ideas about a better future for all of us. I'm Rudyard Griffiths, the Executive Director of The Hub, Canada's leading source for analysis and insights on public policy. Our goal at The Hub is to escape the opinion bubbles of conventional conversation and prod our popular discourse back to the issues and ideas that matter, that can shape our collective future. On The Hub Dialogues, you'll hear Sean Spear, our editor-at-large, in conversation with some of the world's sharpest minds and brightest thinkers about the issues and ideas they're passionate about and that they think we should spend more time focusing on. The next voice you'll hear is that of Sean Spear in conversation with our guest. Enjoy this Hub Dialogue. Welcome to Hub Dialogues. I'm your host, Sean Spear, editor-at-large at The Hub. I'm honored to be joined today by Catherine Schultz, a Pulitzer Prize-winning staff writer at The New Yorker and author of the powerful new book, Lost and Found. Today's conversation is a bit different than usual. Rather than our typical topics of economics and public policy, Lost and Found tells Catherine's profound yet beautiful story of losing her father and ultimately meeting her wife. Catherine, thank you for joining us at Hub Dialogues, and congratulations on the book. Thank you so much for having me on the program. You've distinguished yourself as a writer by your extraordinary range, including Thoreau's Walden to early Muslim immigrants to Wyoming to stink bugs. Yet Lost and Found is a deeply personal book. It eschews width for depth. What was it like writing about yourself? You know, it was very interesting. <laughs> um, you're right to, to point out that although I've kind of tromped around a lot of different subject matters in the past, um, I myself have never really been that subject matter, at least not at, at any depth. So it was interesting to turn my attention to my own life. Um, although, of course, the book is it's only kind of a memoir, right? I'm, I'm using these two very intimate and very momentous moments in my life of, of losing my father and falling in love to look at um, these kind of broader categories of loss and discovery and and certain kind of common human experiences. But of course, I, I do really get into my own life in detail. And, you know, for the most part, it was actually quite fun. You know, it was fun to turn the tools that I'm used to using on the natural world or on a, on a you know, piece of literature um, or on reporting at, to my own life. Uh, and frankly, somewhat easier since I could do it all kind of sitting on the couch. Catherine, a, a common narrative in our pop culture is the story of people overcoming bad childhoods and bad parents. There are very few books that paint a positive picture of one's upbringing and home life. I guess two questions for you. First, why do you think that is? That is, why are we drawn to these stories of estrangement? And two, what made your dad such a great dad? Uh, well, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think that this memoir is about loss and grief, but but the secret subject of this book is happiness, I think, and happy families in particular. And there are a shortage of those and an abundance of memoirs that are about either, they're about exceptional lives, you know, they're about grief or trauma or dysfunction, or they're about celebrity. Uh, and I was very interested in in the unexceptional because my life, it's very precious to me, but it's it's not particularly exceptional. And I think even for those who are living exceptional lives, long stretches of them are ordinary. And I'm interested in in ordinary life uh, and, and what that feels like. As for why my father was such a wonderful father, 
you know, it's, it's related to this question. My dad was a really incredible guy. So, so my father, the very brief version is he was born in Tel Aviv in 1941. Uh, you know, by the time he could walk, he had lost almost his entire maternal line to Auschwitz. Uh, he and his family were then kind of kicked around the globe by the combined forces of poverty and geopolitical violence until they got uh, ref uh, refugee visas and landed in Detroit, which is where my father spent his teenage years. And, you know, by then, um, understandably, his, his parents had been through a lot and, and the home life wasn't a particularly happy one either. There was a lot of um, violence and dysfunction at home as well. And, and yet somehow my dad emerged from all of this as just the most brilliant and joyful guy you could ever meet. I mean, he was he was truly brilliant kind of in both senses of the world word. You know, he spoke seven languages. He had a photographic memory. He was unbelievably astute about the world around him and unbelievably curious about it. But he was also brilliant the way the sun is brilliant. You know, he just he made every room warmer. People gravitated toward him. And it was such a gift to grow up in that kind of light, you know, and to be invited into his curiosity and invited into his joy about the world. And it was never a glib joy. I mean, my father obviously understood about, about trauma and suffering. But you know, when he could, he, he took the side of happiness and he took the side of humor. And, uh, and, and that's also, I think, kind of the heart of this book. It was a real pleasure to write, to try to do, to try to write the way my father lived, which is to not ignore suffering and not ignore pain and, and to really, truly reckon with the role of loss in our lives while also just turning as often as possible to, to what is joyful and meaningful and, and what there is to be grateful for in life. Okay, then I should just say as an aside, the book is a beautiful tribute to your father. You can't read it and not help but feel that you've missed out by not getting the chance to, to meet him and, and, and be in his presence. Um, and so on that front, you've, you've succeeded masterfully. Because your dad had a long illness, at some level, you were intellectually prepared for his death. But when he finally passed away, what surprised you the most? What would you say surprised you the most about this experience that you describe as, quote, bearably sad? How would you describe the grief that you felt in the immediacy of his passing and then uh, over time? It's such a good question uh, because it turns out that describing grief is, uh, is, is complicated. You know, um, when I set out to write this book, <laughs> I was very aware that I was writing about grief and love. You know, I'm, I, I am not the first person to do this, to put it mildly. And and so it seemed to me like it was really incumbent on me to to try to be, to try to get past what we think we know about the experience and, and really sit down with what it's like. And, you know, grief uh, and love is this way too, but grief, you know, above all, what it is, is changeable. You know, um, it's incredible what a different texture it can have every hour and every day. You know, sometimes it's um, it will just level you and sometimes it's just annoying. And, you know, as I as I write about in the book, um, quite often it's frankly kind of boring. You know, I, I feel this is an underappreciated aspect of grief. It's a strange word to apply to it, but it's very dull to be bereft all the time. You know, it's it's like uh having back pain or, or having, you know, financial stress, you know, you wake up in the morning and your back still hurts, or you wake up in the morning and you still don't know how to pay your mortgage and you wake up in the morning and your father is still dead. And it's true every day. And on some, uh, on some level, it's just, uh, you just want out from under it. You want your happy life back, but you don't quite know how to get there. Um, so it's really, you know, it's, um, it's really a variable state, I would say. And, and certainly there are moments in it that are surprisingly joyful and, and that, 
surprise you with a sense of connection to the person you lost or, or to the cosmos, you know, and, and, and do leave you feeling nothing but gratitude. As a parent yourself, Catherine, how did your father's passing affect the way you think about being a parent or your relationship with your kids? Mm. Well, you know, above all, um, and I've, I've always known this, I think I, I would love to be half the parent to my daughter that my father and my mother were to me. Um, and, and certainly, you know, the birth of my daughter um, was, it's quite representative in a way of, of my book, part of which is about the, the, this kind of inescapably entangled nature of love and grief, because I, it was just such a wonderful experience. And, and she brings me joy every hour of every day. But of course, it was a new kind of grief to know that she would never meet my father and my father would never meet her. On the other hand, uh, it's, it's, it's quite delightful. You know, my father's name was Isaac, which means laughter in Hebrew. And when my daughter was a little over two months old, uh, she, she went down for a nap, having never laughed a moment in her life. And she woke up from that nap laughing and she's never stopped. And it just brings such joy to me. And it, it does feel to me like it will be easy and beautiful to, to make sure she knows about her grandfather and, and has this quality of recognizing life's darkness, but, but finding laughter and joy within it. You're one click away from getting access to all The Hub's best analysis and insights. Go to our website, www.thehub.ca, and sign up for our daily email newsletter, Per Diem. Each morning at 7 a.m. Eastern, in your inbox, you'll receive the cutting-edge thinking and analysis of our smartest contributors, all curated for you based on the issues and ideas that are moving the public conversation. Sign up now, free of charge, at www thehub.ca. Now back to our program. That's beautiful, Catherine. As a relatively new father, you know, it, it certainly hits close to home. As you mentioned, though, the, the book is about far more than, than losing your father. It's also about finding your wife. Why don't we just start with some basic details? How did you meet your wife, who you call C in the book? You know, we had a mutual friend who at some point sent us an email to the effect of, you know, you guys should really meet up someday. You would adore each other. Uh, she was not trying to set us up. She just thought authentically we, we would, you know, have fun and be good friends. And that was a very sweet thought. But um, this, this my future wife and I lived, you know, three states and several hundred miles from each other. And it was not at all obvious how we would act on this, you know, hot tip. Uh, so months go by. Uh, and then at some point, um, my partner, I do call her C in the book, but I'm, I'm, it's not meant to be a mystery. I'll call her Casey on air. That's her name. She was uh, on a road trip from her home down in Maryland up to Vermont. And by chance, the little Hudson Valley town where I live was kind of a convenient midway point. So she wrote and um, asked me if I wanted to get lunch. And I said, sure. And then in the way of these things, when that day actually rolled around, I was on deadline for an article I was working on. That's actually kind of a euphemism. I was wildly behind, like a week behind on a piece I was supposed to have turned in. And I remember very vividly waking up that morning and thinking, ugh, this lunch. Like, and I kind of talked myself into it, right? Like, well, I have to eat lunch anyway. And I, you know, I don't want to be a jerk to this friend of my friend. And, you know, fine, whatever. 45 minutes tops, you know, in and out. And then I I walk into town and I am standing there on Main Street, you know, literal, literal Main Street of this town where I lived outside the cafe where we're going to meet up. And I look up and I see this woman walking toward me, kind of in defiance of like 
normal 21st century behavior. I hadn't Googled her or anything. Like, why would I? I thought I was just having lunch with a, a random person. Uh, so I don't even really know how I was so certain it was it was her when she was walking up the street toward me. But I, some little inexplicable inner chime went off in me. And, and sure enough, we go into the cafe and, and we get lunch and we go sit outside. It's this beautiful spring day. And it was one of those quite rare conversations in life where it just right away, it was all substance, you know, and felt deep and connected and, and kind of dazzling in its range. And, <laughs> you know, 45 minutes, four hours later, I think we kind of stumble out of this cafe and, uh, and, and heaven knows when I turned in the piece, but um, it, it sure was worth the delay. <laughs> you mentioned the challenges in communicating or conveying the essence of grief. Um, let me ask you about love. How did you know that you loved Casey? And how would you describe that feeling to someone who hasn't loved before or may not know it? You know, I knew because there was just this absolute sense of yes that that rose up in me. And and it was constant. It wasn't just the first kind of, wow, you know, it was it, all I wanted to do was say yes to her. You know, yeah, let's go do that thing. Like, yeah, I want to read that book you're talking about. It's just this this, this sense of kind of endless ascent, you know, uh, not in the rising up sense, although that's kind of also, but, but, but in the sense of assenting to something. And I guess the main thing I would say to, to someone who hasn't had that experience and hopes to, what was dazzling to me, and, and, and I still find this so shocking, you know, I was somewhat older when I met Casey and I, I was a little lonely and I had been looking, although pretty half-heartedly, because it turns out to be very difficult to look for love, as I write about in the book. But what was incredible to me is it's not there and it's not there and it's not there. And then one day it just is. And and it changes everything, you know, almost immediately, uh, which is just to say, you know, hang in there if you're hoping uh, it will happen. Um, when it does, it's it's sudden and out of nowhere and absolutely unpredictable and, and, and so joyfully life-altering. How much of your intuitions about love derive from observing your parents' relationship? Catherine, it was hard not to be moved by the fact that as your body, your father's body deteriorated, one of the last voluntary movements he retained was he, his ability to kiss your mo mother, who he adored. What was their relationship like? What was it like to grow up seeing these two people so in love? You know, it was it was profoundly sweet, of course, um, but but in ways that to some extent were only evident in retrospect. I mean, I knew my parents had a very happy marriage and I had a very uh, happy childhood sort of under their watch. but. You know, it, you really have to be deep into your own adulthood, I think, to appreciate your parents, not just as adults themselves, which comes kind of at an earlier stage, but, but to appreciate them as two people who met and, and fell in love, hopefully, and, and got together and, and had a relationship the way you yourself do. And one of the really wonderful things about falling in love with Casey is I, I did find myself seeing my parents' relationship in this entirely new life and having the moment of like, Oh, yeah. You know, like they had their Main Street moment. I mean, my mother proposed to my father on their second date. So so they had a kind of similar, you know, just and I'm, I don't mean to suggest all love works this way. I don't think it does. But, you know, like Casey and me, they they knew very early on uh, that, that they'd found the right person. And, you know, it's it's such a gift to me that my parents modeled for me um, what a, an enduring and tender and loving relationship looks like. You know, my, my sister said this beautiful thing that I think about all the time about my parents. She said they gave us 
the love of ideas, but also the idea of love. And that is such a gift to your children. Yeah, well said. As you said at the beginning, Catherine, I mean, maybe step back. We've been talking about some of the, the specifics of your story, but the book operates at another level as well, describing in sort of in metaphorical terms the interrelationship between grief and love and sadness and joy. Do you want to talk a bit about the interrelationship between these seemingly contradictory experiences and emotions? Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I think grief and love, although in terms of the quality of emotion that that attends them can seem starkly different, they're, they're of course remarkably similar, not least because we only grieve what we love. Uh, so, so love is always at the heart of grief. And conversely, you know, grief is always lurking there somewhere inside of love in the sense that when, when, when you really love someone, when you fall in love, at least if you're wired the way that I am, which is to kind of contemplate mortality to some extent, there's no getting away from the fact that, that you found this remarkable person and you adore them and all you want to do is spend eternity at their side. And of course, um, at least in my cosmology and to the best of my knowledge, that's actually not an option. <laughs> so so, so you're, you're always living with both in a certain sense. Uh, and and I write in the book ab about that kind of entanglement. And, you know, I think they, they're also both similar in the sense that they, although they are the most intimate experiences, you know, profoundly personal, losing someone you love or finding someone you love, they really bring us into a confrontation with the nature of existence, right? And, and, and with this kind of mystery of our own tiny lives set against this, 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 the sweep of the cosmos and, and the terms by which we happen to be here. And, you know, with grief, that's quite obvious because, you know, losing someone you love and, and being unable absolutely to, to kind of wrest them back from the fabric of the universe, it's, it's you know, there's no getting away from this force much stronger than us that has profoundly changed our lives. But, you know, love feels that way too. You know, you, you meet someone and you just think there's all this space and there's all this time and, and yet kind of astonishingly, like here we are and we found each other and, and that's miraculous and that's marvelous. Uh, so yes, to me, they, they, they do feel like kind of shockingly similar experiences. In the book and throughout our conversation, Catherine, you've used the word joy and joyful why joy? What? What? Why? Why is joy a better descriptor than happy or fun or some of the other words that are part of our kind of day to day lexicon? Um, well, I mean, look, I, I hope for everyone that their love story is also happy and fun. I know mine certainly is. Um, but you're right. You're right to note that joy has a kind of potent and ongoing presence in the book. At one point, I actually kind of, you know, control F to see like, how often am I using this word? And is it too often? And are they coming too close together in, in on a page or in paragraphs? Um, but the truth is, I um, it feels like the right word to me, because I, I think of joy as the specific kind of happiness that is connected to this sense of the cosmic sweep of things I was just talking about. You know, it's, it's not, um, it's not mundane in the sense of not quite earthly, you know, it, it, it's the it connects us to just this wild improbability of our existence and and the wonder of it all and to me it truly is one of the most beautiful and, and meaningful feelings you can experience so um, yes I I think this book is um, to a significant extent about joy which is to say about uh, the, the the kind of endless mystery of of being here of existing 
let's wrap up with a final question. I, I know that um, you've been on a relentless book tour uh, over the past um, several days. How are you doing now? So your your father passed away in 2016, if I recall correctly. So there's been some some time. Um, time has passed. You know, how do you continue to kind of honor his memory? And how are you doing as a family? Uh, we're wonderful. It's kind of you to ask. I mean, right at this exact moment, I'm experiencing the truly excruciating longing uh, one feels when you have for the first time left your child behind, uh, and I think it's safe to say I, I significantly underestimated how hard that was going to feel, even though I was unbelievably mindful it was going to be hard and, and had quite a lot of dread about leaving her. But um, yes, it turns out it was, uh, although although the travels and, and the book stuff is wonderful and I love to meet readers, that part actually has been really difficult, which is to say that, that the home front beckons because the home front is, is really wonderful. And um, I do like to think of my father as, as quite embedded in it and insofar as he could can be while not being here, you know, my my daughter is so little. Um, she's she's just eight months old, eight and a half months old, and and yet you know we already show her pictures of her grandfather and talk to her about him, and and you know even more than that, I just think becoming a parent inevitably connects you to your parents. You know, you you summon parts of your childhood you've forgotten. You summon uh, ways your your own family operated, and and so in that sense, my father feels quite present to me, and I'm I'm just so glad about that. The book is Lost and Found. The author is Catherine Schultz. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us at Hub Dialogues and get home and, and give your daughter a hug and, and good luck on the, the ongoing promotion of the book tour. I have no doubt listeners will want to read it after hearing today's conversation. Well, thank you so much. It's been lovely to talk to you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Hub Dialogues, brought to you by The Hub, Canada's leading source for analysis and insights on public policy. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Maybe it expanded your horizons, opened your mind to some new thinking and ideas. Please don't forget to share this episode with your friends and family. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a rating and review. That would be greatly appreciated. I'm the Hub's Executive Director, Rudyard Griffiths. The host of today's program was Sean Spear, the Hub's Editor-at-Large. This episode was produced by Amal Atar Guzman. Our audio producers are Alex Glutch and David Mata. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.